All right, welcome our loyal listeners to this week's Park and Drive episode. This is John, chapters two through four from the New Testament, Come Follow Me curriculum. And to kick us off, Cassie, my question is, why was the first miracle that Jesus performed as part of his mortal ministry turning water to wine? Yeah, I think there's so much here. And I think often we gloss over this first miracle because compared to the other miracles which Jesus performs, or at least the other miracles we know about, healing a blind man, feeding the 5,000, resurrecting someone from the dead, those seem a lot more significant than turning water into wine. But I really love that this is his first, at least first public miracle for two primary reasons. The first is that even, you know, even if it seems kind of a small thing, well, it doesn't seem a small thing in that you're changing the properties of water. That's a big thing. But on the grand scheme of things, having more wine to drink at a party seems a small thing. Um, but what I love about this is that it was important to his mother. And because it was important to Mary, it was important to Jesus. And so I think the first lesson in that is Jesus is involved in the small things in our life and also the big things in her life, in our life. And so what's important to us is also important to him. And the second thing I really love about this one um, is his mother asked him for help. She asked him. And I think, I think that's not to say that Jesus wasn't aware. I'm sure he was aware of the situation. But she had the faith to ask him and sort of tell him and know that he was going to solve it. And I think that applies to our own life in the sense that he is aware of us on a daily basis, but how often do we ask him for help? Um, and I think that's a lesson that when we ask, we may not get what we, you know, the help that we think we need in a specific way, but we will get an answer um, when we choose to ask him. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you know, it reminds me of an episode from The Chosen, um, and and the mortal ministry starts in the same way, where Mary or Jesus's mother comes to him and and uh, and is really just pleading for him to do this miracle for her. Um, but there's also a story that they throw into The Chosen where one of his disciples has this limp, and he kind of has this faith crisis where he's talking to one of the other disciples, and the other disciples like, "Does it bother you that he's healing all these people?" but you know, he hasn't healed you. And then this disciple comes and, and talks to, to Jesus and basically says like, why haven't you healed me? And Jesus says, do you want to be healed? And um, it's that same principle of like sometimes, and it's the same thing with prayer. Um, you know, if God knows our hearts and knows our intentions and knows our needs and our wants, you know, why is it that we need to pray? And it's not so much that we can inform God of, you know, what we want or what we're looking for, or what we need in our lives but it's more about how it changes us and the process of turning to him and looking to him um, ultimately is more important than the process of, of us filling God in on those things. Um, so I, I think, I think it's a similar principle of like, you know, this, this miracle wasn't so much about, um, about there being more wine at the party, but it was a physical manifestation um, to you know, to Christ and his mother, that, that he was in fact, you know, the fulfillment of those, those prophecies and of those experiences that had grown up of the angel appearing to Mary. 
um, and her immaculate birth, right? Um, so I think it's a very unique and, and interesting way to start off his mortal ministry, but, but, but very cool. Um, you know, I, I, another question here for you, Cassie, I, I just was a little puzzled by a lot of these, um, a lot of these stories in these chapters. And I just think, you know, there's, there's so many great stories here about faith and about baptism and, and repentance and looking to the savior and prophecies of, of what's going to come. But Jesus uses such, um, kind of allegorical and, um, you know, just hard to understand language that, you know, I really don't, I, I, I wouldn't hold it against someone for not understanding what he's talking about when he's saying, you know, Moses lifted up the serpent in, in the wilderness. Even so must the son of man be lifted up. Like what, what, what would that possibly mean lifted up? Right. Or when Jesus is talking to the woman at the well and says, you know, whosoever drinketh of this water, we will thirst again, but whosoever drinketh the water that I give him, it's never going to thirst and it will be a well of water springing up into everlasting life. Um, there's just so much deep stuff here, like destroy this temple and in three days I will raise it up. Like they had no idea what he was talking about. So, I mean, do you have any insights there on like what was the purpose of of why he was talking in all this like deep, deep kind of language and, and parabolistic terms? Yeah, I mean, I think there's two things. I think um, first, just if you're generally thinking about parables, I think it's like any book, any story, there's a lot that you can take from it. And I think different parts speak to different people. And I think that kind of language allows for people to draw meaning and interpretation in places that they they need it. Um, and I, the second thing too is this was written 2,000 years ago. And even now, we don't write the way we speak, right? Like if you were to write someone – I mean, there's texting, but even still, like if you were right to write an email or to write um, even a text, you're an not email. Gonna, what's that? You're not going to write it the way that you would um, say it over the phone. Um, and so I think there's that, and also remembering that like Jesus didn't write this, um, like John wrote this, um, so he's writing what Jesus said. So I think there's that too. Um, I just wanted to jump on the woman at the well for a minute if you don't mind no let's do it it's a great story um so what i really like about this is he has this great experience with the woman at the well right um and then she goes back and tells all of these people um about this experience that she had right um but what i think is really cool in this is that these people heard her and that they listened to her, but then they also went out of the city and came to him. Right. And they also like had to come to their own understanding and like build their own testimony of like who he was and what his purpose and the role he played in their lives. Um, and I think that's really cool. And I, I like this part of the story because Often when we're young, we rely on the testimonies of others to strengthen our own. And I think that's a really important part of our growth. But I think the most important part is when we develop our own testimonies and when we go out on our own and develop and like find Christ for ourselves mm-hmm. and find who he is in our life for ourselves. And I think a lot of that comes from like making mistakes and you know, learning from those and gaining knowledge, uh, which there's something about this that is so individual, but it's also community. 
we learn from others, but we also need to learn for ourselves. Yeah, you know, it's interesting that Jesus told the woman in the well, I mean, he didn't tell her, but actually I think he did tell her to go out and, and, and tell people about their experience. Whereas last week we read about the man who was healed um, at, at, the, at the pool. And after Jesus healed him, he said, you know, don't tell anyone, right? And it makes you wonder, well, why did Jesus just do this miracle for one person and tell them not to tell anyone, but he did this miracle for, for someone else and he told them to tell everyone. Right. And I mean, I'm sure there's a deeper reason to this, but what it makes me think of is, is that Christ and, 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 you know, even God in this sense, they're very deliberate with their plan. Right. Um, Mm -hmm. And, uh, and I think all of our good efforts are are blessed um, and, and are appreciated. um, But ultimately there is a, there is a path and there is a right way that we're supposed to do things. Um, And, that's why the first law of heaven is obedience um, is because ultimately I think, I think God knows the, the end from the beginning and he wants us to begin with the end in mind to quote uh, Stephen R. Covey. Uh, but, uh, but ultimately, you know, there's a lot of things we, we can't see that God can see. Um, and it makes me think of a, a great story from, from my youth from when um so when my dad and I, we were playing catch in the front yard, right? Just with like a baseball. Um, and all of a sudden, like mid, mid throwing the ball and catching, like he just screams like, Will, run. And I, I just like froze and I had no idea what he was talking about or what, what he was doing. Um, and he then kind of explained to me, you know, that there was this giant tree in our front, in our front yard um, that was, you know, leaning right above where I was standing and he was trying to simulate this idea of of like obedience and like if I just told you to run and drop everything would you be able to just respond right away and just sprint out of the path of this tree and then we practiced like literally for 10 minutes like they're throwing the ball and then just out of nowhere he'd yell run and I would just drop my glove and and start sprinting Um, and at the time I thought it was pretty dumb Um, but then like (laughs) it was pretty dumb but then like a month or two later i was i was doing homework in my room and i look out the window and right as i look out the window i saw this this like this tree that that we were kind of playing under um it broke and it fell exactly where i otherwise would have been standing um had i been playing catch at that at that time right um and that and that was just a reminder that you know sometimes we don't understand or we can't see um the the warnings or the the reasons for why we're told to do some of the things that we're told to do. Um, but there is a, a higher, um, a higher power and, and a higher being in, in, in our heavenly father um, who sees some of those dangers and, you know, wants to direct us towards ultimately the best course of action. Yeah, I think that's a great, um, I feel like I have no recollection of this. So that was a Yeah, it was a pretty nice story. Yeah. I like to, I like to keep some things, you know, tucked away um on my sleeve uh any any other thoughts from these these scriptures cassie that you want to you want to jump on no i think i'll turn it to you will yeah well maybe i'll just i'll just close with this my favorite of, of this chapter's reading was um a couple of verses here and it says when when he heard that jesus this is a man when he heard that jesus had come out of judea into galilee he went unto him besought him that he would come down and heal his son for he was at the very point of death and then Jesus said unto him, except ye see signs and wonders, ye will not believe. And the nobleman said unto him, sir, come down ere my child die. And Jesus saith unto him, go thy way, thy son liveth. 
And the man believed the word that Jesus had spoken unto him and he went his way. And then the man later found out that his son was healed. And he, when he came back, his son was healed. And uh, they figured out that you know, his son was healed at the same time that, that this man was talking to Jesus and Jesus said, go that way. Um, and the, the real great, I think, takeaway from this, right, is about faith. Is, is Jesus, in a sense, questioned this man's faith and said, unless you see a sign, you're not going to believe me. And the man reassured him and said, like, no, I believe you. Um, and ultimately, I think that's what that's what the Savior wants from us is he wants us to believe and not believe because we've been given, you know, signs or God's, you know, conscripted us into believing. Um, but because we have faith in him. Um, and I think when we have faith in him, that's when we're able to see great miracles come in our lives. Yeah, I think that's really awesome, Will. Um, I What I really love about this story, and this is actually one of my favorite stories in the scripture, so I'm glad that you brought it up, is I think the man in this story is like all of us, and his son is you know, like our, you know, like our testimonies, like our struggles, right? And I think when the, when Christ says to him, like, you just want a miracle, and he asks his question again, he does have faith. Does that mean that he, like, his faith is 100%? No. He certainly has some unbelief in this situation, right? I think we all do. We all have times that our faith is not 100% sure, but he has enough belief to continue. He has enough belief to ask the Savior again. Um, And I just like that because how persistent are we in the gospel sometimes? Like if our faith is questioned, how often do we walk away? How often do we ask again for, for deliverance? And the question is really like, do you have enough faith to continue? Mm-hmm. No, it's a it's a great point, and you know I think that's that's the 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 journey of a lifetime is developing that faith. Um, well, thanks for joining me, Cass. This has been nice to talk about, and uh, we appreciate everyone who listened. And we hope to catch you next week as well. Hope you have a great week. Thanks, you too.